As I've already mentioned this morning, we have the privilege of having Murray Wright share with us. I've known Murray uh, for a long time, back in the last century I met him, and sometimes it feels like it was a century ago. But I first met Murray uh, in the 1980s when he was the regional coordinator for Scripture Union here in uh, Toowoomba and the Darling Downs, and had a lot to do with him during those uh, days. But then uh, Murray went on to be deputy principal up at uh, Harristown High and then across to be principal at Toowoomba State High when Toowoomba State High and Wilsonton Campus were a combined deal. And then uh, after that, he went on to be in senior management at uh, the Toowoomba Regional Council. I guess the thing that has struck me about Murray over the years, and I had a lot to do with him uh, in his scripture union role, but also then particularly at Toowoomba State High. I was uh, working as the chair of the chaplaincy committee and doing a lot of stuff at Toowoomba State High back in that day, and I had a lot to do with Murray uh, there. I've always been impressed by his humility, um, the, the fact that he really has this very um, real, humble, uh, just very genuine way of going about things. But he always seeks, he's always sought to um, represent God well in whatever setting he was part of. And I saw that particularly at Toowoomba State High and uh, saw in the way that he dealt with not just students but with staff, just this real desire to care for people in a real way but always to represent God in a way that might warm people to the idea of God and make them want to know a little bit more. So we're really pleased to have him as part of this series. He's been here before. Uh, he just keeps coming back, and we're quite happy about that. And we're really pleased this morning that he's going to be sharing with us as he talks about the fact of us seeking God's kingdom. So Murray, I'm going to invite you up, mate, and we're looking forward to you sharing this morning. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, well, that's very generous, Ross, and uh, I thank you for the partnership we've had in a whole range of settings. And uh, I, my memory still goes back to when I was in SU days and we wanted to have a combined youth event. And we knew that if we could just get Humeridge or Margaret Street, as it was then, hey, on board, we'd have enough kids to sink a battleship. And that was the case. We had busloads and we were... Yeah, anyway, that's another story. Um, it is indeed a real privilege to uh, just be with you this morning and to be invited to share something from God's Word. And I trust that you'll be encouraged this morning as you head into 2022. Um, it's, it's, I don't know how you are at the moment. It's tough times, isn't it? And, and as a speaker, you're not sure whether you should dwell on that, but that's the reality, isn't it? Um, we, we live in times that are difficult, at times of great change. Some of you are sitting there wondering whether you're going to have your kids for another two weeks. And hi to all the people out there in virtual land too, by the way. Um, or do you get to send them back to school? I understand announcements made this morning. But there's a level of uncertainty uh, around. Um, and we're just not sure as Christian people, where does that place us? Where, does that, where do we sit in that? Well, this morning, just terrific song choices this morning too, guys. Thank you so much. Keep those in mind as we, as we go forward this morning. But I want to share with you a song that I think captures... I'm not going to sing it, so don't panic. Uh, a song that I think captures the yearning that we as Christians have for our world to change, for the kingdom to come. Um, a little background that I want to give you first, and then and we'll listen to it. 
It's a very familiar tune. You'll recognise it as the tune that we use for Abide With Me, for those of you who go to funerals. David Milliken, you'll know it well. Uh, and military occasions. So you'll know the tune. The lyrics of the song, We Seek Your Kingdom, were penned about five years ago. And uh, then early last year, the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity commissioned a video uh, to be made that would sort of capture just not, not just the melody uh, and the lyrics, but something of the heart and the vision and the hope of this song. If you think for a moment about the context that the UK over the last five years, they've had COVID in bucket loads. They've battled over Brexit. The Scots are revolting most of the time. <laughs> Political issues are coming and going all the time. And their confidence on the world stage just seems to have been shaken. And that's not all. Their Prime Minister Boris Johnson can't for the life of him find a comb. And their cricket team, well, let's not say any more. So if you're a Brit, you had a tough five years. And of course, if you're a Brit and a follower of Jesus, wow, unable to meet in person for month after month on end, on different sides, on major political issues like Brexit and the rest of it. Christians struggling to have a common mind about big issues. So in the midst of all that, the people at the London Institute wanted to shape the thinking of UK Christians to give them a renewed vision, a renewed hope as to what it might actually mean to be a follower of Jesus in this time, in this place, with the people around them. The LICC people knew, as uh, the Apostle Paul knew, that followers of Jesus are not just to follow the way of the world. So Paul in Romans writes this, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mould, but let God remould your minds. We are called as Christian people to believe differently, to behave differently and to think differently, to not think like everybody else but to let the gospel shape our thinking. I'm not sure about you, but the cry of the psalmist, how long, Lord, seems really appropriate now, doesn't it? How long is this going to go on? But deeper, what does it all mean, Lord? How should I be living as one of the followers of Jesus in the world today? What are you saying, God? Is this a time when Christians should retreat and hunker down and just let the storm pass? Or is there something else? Perhaps it's a time of opportunity. Perhaps it's a time when God is doing a new thing. Well, anyway, let's listen to the song. Uh, if you want to sing along, that's fine, but you're going to get another opportunity when Brenda and the team are going to lead us in this song a little later. Maybe just now sit back and just listen, enjoy the pictures from a UK context in your mind, put Toowoomba pictures on the screen, but listen to this song, We Seek Your Kingdom. Thanks, guys.
enjoy that. Clearly the second line of Jesus' prayer and the Lord's prayer inspired the lyrics of that song that you've just heard. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I'm guessing that most of you are pretty familiar with those words in the Lord's prayer. Not as familiar as our Anglican brothers and sisters who would repeat those words probably every week in their service but maybe familiar enough so that we can easily gloss over the deeper meanings. So, you know, we go, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, kingdom come, will be done, earth as it is, that sort of thing. You get the idea? So I'd invite you to reflect with me this morning on just that little phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and how that song we've just heard challenge us to a deeper understanding of what that might mean. So the first thing I want you to notice in Jesus' prayer, your kingdom come, is that this prayer is that we will have an earthly impact. It is a prayer about heaven and earth. Now that mightn't sound very an earth-shattering revelation to you, but I'm a bit slow on the uptake. And the focus for me, as I've sort of glibly said those words, has often been just about the prayer that Jesus would come again. Your kingdom come. It's obvious, isn't it? It's a prayer that one day Jesus will close the curtain on history and will set things to right. And at a time like this, I understand that prayer. And while that is something that we will one day experience and rejoice in the coming of Jesus again, I think there's something more here. I've come to see that this is a prayer about your kingdom on earth just like it is in heaven. The prayer is grounded in earthly reality. We are praying that there would be a difference right here, right now, where we live. We want to see what is true in heaven become true on earth. Otherwise, friends, our faith is just pie in the sky till we die 
and it bears little relationship to the things that happen every day in our lives and in our journey with Jesus. And you can hear that in the, that theme in that first verse of the song, can't you? Particularly that second line. We seek your kingdom throughout every sphere. We long for heaven's demonstration here. The prayer is grounded in the sense that we long to see what happens there demonstrated here each day. And the rest of the lyrics in the song follow from that thought. We want to see society transformed, revived and healed. Please, Lord, make an impact in the economy, in the media, in the trade, in our public square, all the different spheres of our daily life as we think about them. So what we're actually praying here is that God's rule and authority will be present here where we live, work, rest and play, the same way as it works out in heaven. May your kingdom come into my family, however harmonious or dysfunctional it happens to be. May your kingdom come in my workplace, daycare centre, factory floors, wherever it is, local hospital, wherever you happen to be. Father, that is where I want to see your presence, where I want to see you at work. Indeed, Father, I want to see your kingdom come even more here in Humerids Church of Christ, where even at our best we know that there's a long way to go till we fully reflect the words, the works and the ways of Jesus. I love the way I've used this quote many times, how Abraham Kuyper puts it. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign, uh, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Every square inch. The kingdom of God, grounded in our daily lives, touching and impacting on every square inch of our daily lives. Moving on, the second point I think is pretty obvious. This is a prayer about kingship. If there's a kingdom, then there must be a king. Which means that Jesus' prayer is inviting us to recognise the Father's sovereignty, recognising who's in charge, acknowledging that is the critical decision that all of us must make. Do we or don't we follow King Jesus? Do we follow something or someone else? Does King Jesus have the preeminent place in our life? Or is our allegiance and our loyalty somewhere else? So you can see that this is such a radical prayer. This isn't just words that we should recite with little thought, as I often do. We're actually being asked, we're actually praying that God's kingdom rule would come in the places that we will be in this coming week. And immediately... That sets up a clash, doesn't it, between the demands of King Jesus and the, all the other appeals, things that appeal for our allegiance. When Jesus first taught this prayer, the Jewish people were trying to work out in their day what it meant to follow God within the context of the all-powerful Roman Empire. The Pharisees believed that you just should concentrate on personal piety, keep the rules, keep the religious laws. That's the best way to live out a life of faith. The Sadducees thought that you should just suck up to the political powers around them, just assimilate, go along with the Romans, they'll go away eventually. And there were the Essenes, you may not have heard of them, but they took to the desert and withdrew completely. Their view was just hunker down, fly under the radar until it's all over. Romans come, Romans go. And I suspect that most of the ordinary people just tried to get on with life and I hope it turned out okay. 
But then Jesus comes along. And he declares that as he's come, the kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God has arrived. Matthew records that the essence of Jesus' teaching was repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. If you read Mark's Gospels, you see story after story about the kingdom, parables and stories, mustard seeds, growing seeds, camels and needles and all of that sort of stuff. And Luke sort of summarises it all. He says, Jesus saying, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also because that is why I was sent. The followers of Jesus are called to point to another way. Not the way of the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the Essenes, but a new way that demanded change through repentance and allegiance to King Jesus while still engaging with the culture around them and the people around them. It's hardly a surprise, is it, that they really struggled to figure Jesus out. All his teaching was upside down. It was counterintuitive. It went against the grain. I'm always fascinated that, you know, you read all the Gospels and then you get to Acts. And the risen Jesus appears in that first chapter of Acts to the disciples. And what question do they ask him? I don't know if you remember it. But they say, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? You see, what they want, they still haven't got it, or what the kingdom that Jesus is talking about. They're thinking in terms of politics and of power and of prestige and overthrow of the Romans. We'll get rid of them. Now that you're the risen Lord, that's what we're thinking. I wonder what Jesus would say if we said to him, Lord, are you at this time in Toowoomba going to restore your kingdom? I think the answer would be something like this. Yes. In fact, the kingdom has come in Toowoomba. It's already here. And it continues to be established through you, my people. That first song we sang, the church. In all the contexts where ordinary people like you go each week as ambassadors of the king. The places that I think you call, I call, your front lines. Places where you meet people who don't know Jesus. Places where God has already placed you, gone ahead of you and is already working there. Places that are filled with potential and opportunity for the kingdom to come in greater power. Sometimes when I'm doing workshops around this sort of thing, I ask people to think about their front lines. I'm asking you to do it now. It might be a workplace, it might be a sporting team, it might be your neighbourhood, your family, a school, university classroom, maybe a retirement village, wherever it is that you find yourselves spending a lot of time with people who don't know Jesus. Think about that place and think about the changes that might need to come there for that place to better reflect to the kingdom of God. Where is there a sense of dissatisfaction with you, the way things are currently happening? What are the behaviours that need to be addressed, including your own, I might add, and my own? What might need to change in the culture there, the way things are done? Are there relationships there that need to be mended? Who is searching there and needs to hear the story of Jesus? These are the sorts of questions that this prayer asks us to consider. And we shouldn't read it just glibly. It's edgy. It's a cry for change, a change for a better way. 
Here's how author John Ortberg uh, talked about this little passage, your kingdom come, I love this quote. Many people think our job is to get, uh, sorry, many people think our job is to get my afterlife destination taken care of, then tread water till we all get ejected and God comes back and tortures the place. Lovely turn of phrase, isn't it? But Jesus never told anybody, neither his disciples nor us, to pray, get me out of here so I can go up there. His prayer was, make up there, come down here. Make things down here run the way they do up there. Back to the song. The opening two verses are an appeal for God's presence to be experienced throughout every sphere of human society. They serve as an invitation, an expression of our desire for God to be present with us 24-7 in every moment, as our second song talked about this morning. Every moment of every day, week, year, the whole of our lives. They are an invitation. They, sorry, they invite God to be acknowledged on our front lines, wherever we find ourselves, that through us, God might be transforming, reviving and healing society. And this reality, friends, comes true in the lives of people like us. So what does it mean for the kingdom to come? Let me give you a few simple examples. It's like a fellow I know, Jeff, refusing to take a promotion because of the dodgy tax arrangements the company was involved in. So he challenged them and they changed them. The interesting thing was the company CEO was his dad and a Christian. It looks like Danny who's packing shelves and he hates it. He'd much rather be uh, leading Sunday worship with Brendan. But he decides to go to work 10 minutes earlier each day so that he can pray for his colleagues in his workplace and I'm guessing himself. It looks like our friends, some of you will know them, Debbie and Andrew, welcoming people into their home, always being willing to hug them and feed them. Looks like Jane who sees a colleague who's doing it tough and just makes her a cup of tea. Her favourite, chamomile. <laughs> it looks like uh, people I know, Sam and Bron this week, receiving a call that they had 200 kilograms of food from Oz Harvest that they couldn't get rid of because places were closed. So they packed it up and, and delivered it to families in need. And it looks like Humeridge Church of Christ welcoming members of the refugee community, helping them to learn English and settle into Australia. I'm using everyday examples because some of you might have heard the words of that song and thought, wow, that sounds a bit too political for me. And it would be a shame if we took that view. The song clearly points to the big picture of society and the public square, but it also points to every sphere. Every sphere. It does include the political arena and, friends, we should pray or Christians active in that area, whatever their political persuasion. But it's not a prayer that you and I can opt out of as followers of Jesus. Praying your kingdom come means asking the Heavenly Father to help you and me to be, to be faithful, obedient, authentic Christians in our own lives, our own daily lives. We demonstrate God's kingdom in our words, but they only have meaning when they're aligned with our actions and the consistency of our character. If we have a big view of the kingdom come and what that means, maybe today we should just scale that down a bit and make it personal. And if we've got a small view, maybe we should scale it up 
This is a macro prayer with micro implications. This is a personal prayer with, everyday, with implications for everyday, ordinary Christians like you and me. Third point, and perhaps it's not quite so obvious, but this is a prayer that is a call to arms, or if you prefer, a call to service. When we pray this little part of the Lord's Prayer, there's an element of uncertainty, I think, isn't there, in terms of what we're actually praying for. What does the kingdom look like in my situation? What do you want, Lord, on my front line? I'll be there tomorrow, maybe. What would you like to see happen where I rock up at 9am? What are you already doing there that I can join you and be a partner in? It's often the case, isn't it, that the creator God, the king of the universe, calls us to be the answers to our own prayers. It is a humbling it is as humbling as it is fascinating to consider that God chooses to advance his kingdom agenda through the prayers and partnership of his people, the church, us. In all of our weakness, our sinfulness, our human limitations, God chooses to expand his kingdom through us. So when we pray your kingdom come, we're actually asking, Lord, how can I serve you? What do you want me to do? to help your kingdom come wherever I am today. I think we can easily get a bit muddled in this because sometimes as Christians we act as though we've sort of enlisted God into our lives, our concerns, our cause, our context. Sort of as though we've added the Holy Spirit as an extra resource when things get really tough and we're not sure what to do. But that is not the storyline of the Bible. Because we are reminded again and again in Scripture that it is God who is on a mission and he invites us to join him. He invites us to be part of the story that he is completing. Praying your kingdom come, your will be done reminds us that through Jesus, God has enrolled us in his kingdom and we are called to follow his agenda and to be part of the story that he is writing we're called to submit our priorities and plans, our hopes, our dreams for a bigger cause. It's not some sort of blind obedience, friends, but rather in following Jesus, we become more fully human, more fully who we are meant to be as we align our thinking and our passions and our doing, our head, our hearts, our hands, if you like, to the rule of King Jesus. So when we pray this, we're asking how can the atmosphere, the culture, the relationships, the values, the priorities, the policies, whatever they be around me, how can they change to actually reflect the kingdom? Monday to Saturday, where the people of God, that's you and me, we're out and about seeking to represent the king. We're not tucked away, huddled and afraid to come out. I love this image and I know that Neil shared this a few weeks ago, so backing up on that one, Neil. We talk about the church being gathered and the church being scattered. We are gathered here today, we're like the diagram on the left, the red dots in the corner. But we're not to stay that way, are we? During the week, we're like the diagram on the right, we're throughout the community, bumping into all sorts of people who don't know Jesus and who need to experience his grace and his love. They're both important, friends, the gathering and the scattering. From Monday to Saturday, you and I will interact with all sorts of challenges, 
all sorts of things that will demand our attention and may drag us away from following Jesus. When we scatter during the week, some of the, sometimes our red dot goes a bit grey because we come like the world around us as we watch the telly or engage in social media or we're bombarded with all the attractions of the individualistic sort of consumeristic culture that we live in. But on Sundays when we gather, we've got a chance to be reminded again of God's story, how he has rescued and redeemed his people. Sunday, as my friend Sam Jackson, who I think spoken here before, says, is the locker room. It's preparation day, friends. It's time to get out. We're ready. So that on Monday to, Monday to Saturday, we're out in the world touching the lives of people in a whole variety of ways, praying that God's kingdom would indeed come wherever we are, praying that he would transform, revive and heal, and that by his grace and power of his spirit, he would use us and enable us to take part. I've struggled this week to know how to conclude today's message. In fact, I had three different endings I've written. Option one, you're going to get them all anyway, but in, but in abbreviated form. Option one was, uh, was to go back to the prophet Ezekiel, um, who's in the opening chapter there. He's beside the river in, of, of river in Babylon. Sounds good, doesn't it? Make a song out of that. He's miles from Jerusalem. It's his 30th birthday and he's about to achieve his lifelong ambition of becoming a priest because he's a Levite. But God says, I've got another idea. I want you to be a prophet. Oh, good. And Ezekiel gets to do all sorts of crazy things. It's a tough gig. But Ezekiel, if you look at it in verse 2, is assured that the hand of the Lord is upon him and that ought to be a great encouragement as you head off on your front lines this week. I enjoyed Ross on Christmas Eve. God be with you, Emmanuel. The hand of the Lord was upon him. Option two, I'd love to have shared this one. Um, this, is a couple, this happened a couple of weeks ago. You only get in the short version, right? Um, we had a neighbourhood gathering, 30 or 40 people in our house and, and uh, near the end of the evening, uh, one of our Indian guests said, would you like to come around and listen to the drive-by carolers? In brief, we ended up around in, in Vimmel's house and we waited and waited and waited for the Indian drive-by carolers to come. We had an hour and a half of chatting with our neighbours until finally the carolers arrived and sang in Hindi. We didn't understand a word of it. The longest version of that's for another day. I actually settled on option three. See what I did there? Very clever. It's a story that I shared when I spoke here back in 2015. And I'm assuming, A, that many of you would not have been here, and even if you were, it's very unlikely you'd remember a thing I said. It's the story about the pink spoons. Do you know these ones? They're up on the screen. The Baskin and Robbins taster spoons. The ones you use where you can sample a bit of ice cream and decide between the, in my wife's case, the Jumokka Ramen fudge or the Hokey Pokey or whatever else they've got there. Back in 2015, um, I actually handed one of these out to everybody. I've still got some left at home, but not enough for this morning. To everyone in the congregation, some of you may even still have one. Before that Sunday, when I popped into Baskin and Robbins to buy the spoons, you can imagine the look on the young lady's face when I said to her, I'd like to buy six or seven hundred of your pink taster spoons. Her immediate response was, I'll have to ring my boss. And then she said to me, fairly politely, what's it for? I think she was trying to work out whether I was a nutter and she should actually be dialing triple zero. 
Um, I was helpful to have Jen beside me at the time because she was acting fairly normal and choosing her flavours. And I mumbled, look, um, I'm speaking at Hume Ridge Church of Christ tomorrow and I want to explain to them that during the week in the places where God puts them, they're bringing a foretaste of the kingdom when Jesus will come again and put everything right. And it was an amazing moment as understanding dawned on her face and she said to me, oh, I get it. It's like a metaphor. They're a little taste of heaven. And I said, you've got it, as I left with two large buckets of pink spoons under my arms and a bonus bucket of tango mango because we'd purchased more than $20 worth. Friends, when we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in heaven, we need to be careful what we pray for. Heaven might just come to earth this week. My prayer would be that may each of us bring a taste of God's good kingdom wherever we find ourselves this week. Let's pray. Lord, first of all, we would pray that you would help us to treasure your kingdom. Help us to seek it in every aspect of our life. That day by day we would be one step closer to our Lord and Saviour, Jesus the King. Father, we pray that there would be a demonstration of heaven here in all the different here's where we will find ourselves this week. May your light shine bright for all to see. Lord, we would pray that you would transform, revive and heal society. Pray, Lord. We pray that your kingdom would come so that your sovereign rule will come now, more today than tomorrow. May it start with us, with our families, with our church community here at Hume Ridge, and then through us spread out into all the spaces and places where we will be scattered this week in we pray these things in the name of King Jesus. Amen. Thanks.